0: Hey, everybody, it's Bax, and welcome to Maxi's Musical Podcast. Today we're brought to you by Canna Provisions. Canna Provisions is an adult-use cannabis dispensary with the largest selection of cannabis products in Western Massachusetts with locations both in Holyoke and in Lee. They offer a warm, unique shopping experience with guides rather than bud tenders. In fact, they're not just a dispensary, they're a destination. Visit CannaProvisions.com. That's CannaProvisions.com. Adults 21, please, and please consume responsibly. And now it's time for Baxi's Musical Podcast. What is it? What is it? It's Baxi's Musical Podcast. the The freaking melt. For the last 39 years, you will hardly find a band that has had more influence or has worked harder than the Melvins. Since 1983, they have released 25 studio albums, eight compilations, seven live albums, plus countless side projects that have included members of Faith No More, Jello Biafra from the Dead Kennedys, and many, many others. But their influence on others has been astounding. Bands like Nirvana, And Soundgarden, Tool, Slipknot, and Mike Patton of Faith No More all cite the Melvins as a primary influence. This is a band that other bands point to as having had an immeasurable impact in the music of the last 40 years. This is a band that has been completely unafraid to experiment, to move forward, to add, subtract, to go over the top. In a way, the Melvins have been completely fearless. And that's part of what people love about the Melvins. During the last 12 months, the Melvins have released two albums, a brand new one called Working With God, and also a career-spanning semi-acoustic 4LP set entitled Five-Legged Dog. And they're both freaking fantastic, with the promise of more music coming out later this year, while in the middle of a punishing road tour that will take them around the country until late October, including some local dates, including tonight, June 27th, at the Space Ballroom in Hamden, Connecticut, and the Fett Music Hall in Providence, Rhode Island on Tuesday, June 28th. That's why I am totally excited to talk to the band's lead singer, guitar player, and primary songwriter of the Melvins, King Buzzo himself. This is Buzz Osborne from the Melvins on Backseat Musical Podcast. I have been listening to the new album, I've been listening to the new EP on, on Spotify, because I don't have that yet, and also the, uh, the, the new four-album acoustic set. I'm just, and I'm just, as I'm going through all the stuff, thinking all the things you've done in the last year, I mean, do you ever think to the, your, yourself, you know, I'm seven years away from 65. I might as well start looking at my 401k and get ready for retirement. Do you even think that way? or are you Because uh, I'm counting down every single day. Well, how old are you? I'm, I'm 50. I'll be 56 this year. So we're like two years apart.
1: So you're counting down the days before you can quit working. Oh my God! Yes,
0: absolutely.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, I-, I don't know. The idea of not working has never really crossed my mind. I guess.
0: <laughs> I guess. I-, I guess for a guy like me, I mean, I-, I do you know morning radio. So the idea of waking up at three o'clock in the morning as opposed to going to bed at three o'clock in the morning is a different uh, is a different animal altogether.
1: Yeah, I suppose. I, I don't. Uh, I get up early, so. I've been getting up early for a long time, so I don't know. It's all it's all kind of strange to me, all of it. I'm not really a nine to five guy, right? But uh, um, you know, I I, I don't know. I just never, I never had a forty hour a week mentality. No,
0: but you do have a mentality of working constantly. I mean, you guys are off the road. I mean, yeah, you guys are off the road right now, but you're going back in about a month or so, and it's like, do the Melvins ever take a real break? And what and what do you do when you take a break?
1: Well, I mean, uh, during the pandemic, we didn't work, well, not like normal, um, but we made a lot of records and did all, all that kind of stuff. But as far as taking a break, I mean, um, they asked Bob Dylan, why do you still tour at your age? And he said, well, that's
0: a deal I made. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. I suppose. And it worked out pretty well for him, I guess.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I like, I like doing what I'm doing. Uh, the idea that I would just, you know, just quit, I guess is kind of... Sounds kind of nice, yeah, to some degree, but, but uh, I guess I don't see it that way. <laughs>
0: right.
1: I mean I, I only look like I work hard compared to other rock musicians who don't do anything.
0: Well, a lot of times you'll see you know an artist make like one record every five years and they say, "Oh my God, he's so prolific." but <laughs> you, know, you guys are coming out with you know one, two, and, and an EP. all within a 12 months. So yeah I mean, well, one,
1: of, one of the records was uh, two and a half hours of music.: you know? Yeah, exactly. Refigured, you know the
0: whole yeah. thing yeah i, I, I want to uh, get to that in a second though but i've been i've been listening to working with god uh, a lot lately yeah. and the thing oh, good. the thing i love about it is I, i'm i'm never going to be able to listen to the beach boys the same way <laughs> Good. <laughs> which i well, think we is, like the beach boys i love the beach boys too but i think it's 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 hilarious that that's how you you open it up and uh with uh yep. with fuck around and all I can think of is you know, fuck only knows, and fucking USA must be coming up next. No, I think we're done with that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I also I love... took it to its lo- logical conclusion. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. But I also love the way you closed it out with. Um, I mean, I remember that song as being like uh, the the closing theme to the Na Variety Show back in the uh, the seventies and eighties, and I and I just thought that was what a hilarious way to close it out. But it's yeah. it's not the Melvins diver down by by any means. There's lots of great stuff in in between there. So I just I just think that you know to have the to bring humor into the music, which you know you've you've done forever. But that was actually very cool.
1: Yeah, I mean we like it. I don't know how much people appreciate it. I, I, honestly, I don't know what people what people think or what they want. I have no idea. You know, yeah. I don't think they know either. I know that it's easy to offend people with stuff. Um, it's easy for people to take it. Not not take it seriously which which is, is crazy to me, but but whatever, you know.
0: I think if you listen to everything in between you realize, no no no, this is this is serious music and this is this is the Melvins the way you expect the Melvins to sound. And it's also That's the what I've always thought. Absolutely, and it's also the, the nineteen eighty three lineup of the Melvins, which is also pretty cool too. Cool. As, close as we'll get to the 1983 lineup. How did uh, you decide to work with Mike Dillard again?
1: That happened a long time ago. Um, we did an album before this called Trace Cabrones, uh, and this is the second album. Um, we got together and started playing stuff that we had recorded in 1983 with him live. But getting to being able to do that is tough because he's a union machinist, and so any of the family. So he has to, you know. Uh, Figure out when he can do that kind of stuff, and we had to kind of go around his schedule a little bit. And then we did some live shows with him playing only stuff from '83. And then he suggested, "Why don't we try doing some new, new songs?" And so then I went to work on that, and that was the uh, Trace Cabroni's record. And and then um, we it was time to do a new one. And that's when this came up, and I just you know, I just nothing. I'm disappointed in people but people just like it's not really a whole album it's this it's that it's like you know what if you don't like this record if you don't like feel like working with God I don't know <laughs> what to tell you you know I just don't know what to tell you people out there you guys need to lighten up it's yeah. like it's, it's it's people like you that made me do what I do yeah just it's, it's gotten a good response but it's just like whatever I'm sick and tired of it I'm just tired of it you know someday I'm just not going to be making records at all yeah I just well, I won't be doing anything and, and 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 maybe that will make you happier <laughs>
0: when when you've worked on that many records in your career as the band right. and when you've That's had when you've had that many it's really hard to come up with it's really hard to come up with sticky fingers 25 times you know it just it doesn't happen that way and i don't know, i don't care who it is it's always going to anyone who's got a large body of work has albums that are great and has ones that are not so great. I actually really like this record, and I like I a think lot. It's a great record. I think so too, and I and it's 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 confounding to me how someone can can look at it and say, well, it's, you know, you're not being serious with it. No, listen, have fun with They're it. Crazy. This is this is this is your career. It's it's really how you feel rather than how you, how some critic feels on you know in Rolling Stone or wherever it may be.
1: Well, critics, it's like I can never, I can never. You know, I'll I'll still be making records while they're selling canoes somewhere. You know,
0: the other record, five legged a five legged dog, I think is is yeah. is, is very cool. Thirty six songs, it takes a yeah. it takes a four vinyl LPs. How did you go yep. through all of these songs and decide these are the ones we, we're going to play and these are the ones that we're not? That had to be, you know, twenty five records you guys have got. That had to be kind of a hard process to go through. Um, it
1: was fairly daunting, but. Uh, no, not the end of the world. I would kind of go the night before we were going to record and figure out which ones I thought maybe we could do, and then bring in three or four of them to work on that day, and and we would just go through it yeah. methodically. That was essentially how we did it. I'd try to figure out ones I thought would work uh, acoustically for us, and we just took it from there. You know, yeah.
0: but it's not like you know you're kind of doing the uh, the Laurel Canyon version of them. <laughs> Of the melody, no, no, not at all. Not at all. Even though it's acoustic, it still sounds, you know, pretty heavy. Although, like I w- that. although I will say, there's vocal harmonies too, which that I was, I was kind of surprised by. But they sound great.
1: Yeah, that's uh, uh, something I think uh, people wouldn't realize that we could do.
0: So, what made you decide to do like a four LP set? I mean, you could very easily have done just. You know, seventy minutes of music, and that would have that would have been it. But you decided to go much further than that. Why did you not stop well, actually, at one?
1: Actually, albums now are thirty-five minutes because people want vinyl, or so they think. And vinyl records are really only thirty-five minutes long. That's it. Yeah, that's how it goes. Yeah, that's all you can fit on there.
0: So, we, I mean, do you guys so, having a hard time paring it down and just said, let's just release thirty-six of these?
1: Um, I thought one album was kind of not enough. It was nothing big deal, and two albums. It's like everybody does double albums. But three three albums, well if we're gonna do three, we might as well do four and make it really ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> so that was literally the thought process. That's it.
0: It really sounds great, I think. You know, it's I mean it's
1: it, Yeah, I think it's great. I think it's one of our best records.
0: I think so too. I've only really gotten through half of it though. Be <laughs> I'll be I'll be yeah. I have not listened know, to the other I don't know two. if
1: anyone will ever listen to all of it.
0: Maybe. I'll, I will listen to all of it. I haven't gotten there quite quite yet, but uh because yeah. I've been too busy listening to the other record.
1: Yeah. Yeah, working with God. All of it is a we got a lot of stuff.
0: You know? Yeah, absolutely.
1: People will ask me, you know, what, well, what, what records should people listen to if they're going to start out? Well, you know, I don't know. I can tell you five albums. <laughs> you <know? laughs> I'm not sure, yeah. really. It's tough uh, as far as that's concerned. I mean, but to me, the fact that a band has that many records is, for a fan is really a luxury problem. So Nothing with, to bitch about.
0: You know? No, hell no. So with the EP out now, the, uh, the, the new one, um, yep. th- there's another album coming out this year or when, or, or is it next year? At some point, at some point,
1: whenever we can, you know, um, you mean the, uh, uh, Lord of the Flies EP? Yeah. Yeah. We played one of those songs, Never Say You're Sorry. We played that live on the ministry tour that we did, uh, but the other one we didn't play. Um, and then, uh, yeah, that has two covers It came out good. Yeah. But yeah, we'll have an album at some point. You know,
0: I listened to, Next um, year's
1: our 40th anniversary. So we're going to do something cool for that. That's cool.
0: Yeah. You also did uh Spoonman and Matt, Matt Cameron's on that too, right? Yes. That had to be yeah. kind of fun. We do, well, we had it, we had a, our version of it
1: done and then, um, he came in and added stuff to it, which was cool. He played along as well, which was nice. I mean, we worked that out when we did the, uh, Chris Cornell tribute thing at the forum. And, um, so we kind of worked out a version of the song
0: a little different than theirs. And then, uh, it from there you know i think the thing that always impressed me about you guys you know a lot of bands kind of fall into a formula and they stay there and they never ever diverge from it whatsoever and right and as as a result they don't either they get bored with themselves or they don't last or you know tears the band up or whatever but you guys are always kind of mixing it up i mean you're you're it's like a fearlessness about melvin's that you either listen to it and appreciate it or you at least try to decipher what's, what's going on. And I think a lot of artists are, I don't know, maybe you're just afraid to take an experimental approach to what they do. But I think Melvin's yeah. fans really appreciate that because it, you know, it says you guys aren't going to rest in your laurels. You're never going to get to the point where you say, well, the Melvins are, are just phoning it in. I think that's been true. I mean, you say 40 years, I think it's been kind of what, what makes Melvin so special is it's like, you know, 40 years of, of really mixing it up. And whether it's, you know, two bass players or, you know, two drummers or, you know, whatever it may be, you're not afraid of any of that kind of experimentation. I think that's, you know, really admirable.
1: Well, this, th- thank you. There's, there's no bands doing that. Nobody. No. Nobody. And you know, We have no brother bands along those lines. <laughs> None. And I don't know how much that's appreciated by the masses. It will be appreciated hardly at all. You know? Yeah. By what? people that go to you know punk rock bowling or any of that bullshit, they're not. They don't care about any of that shit. They don't no. even know who we are. You know, we're, we're ten times the ten times as punk rock as anything on there, but it's viewed differently. I don't. It's, it's strange to me. I don't get it. But whatever. I, I'm not. I'm not interested in you know any of this. Any of this uh, uh, sing songy punk rock crap. I Fucking hate <laughs> it. You know. So I'm gl- glad we're not a part of it. But. Yeah.
0: So what, what do you like? I mean, what does do it for you? I know, you're, you know, you know some of your early influences were like you know, Kiss and the Rolling Stones, and, and I can totally understand that, but, but what, what does do it for you? Well, I love the Stones. I
1: like Kiss, too, still. I still like all the same bands I did when I was 15, plus a lot of other stuff. Yeah. Off the top of my head, Robin Gristle, mm-hmm. um, uh, The Birthday Party. Big, they're huge influence. Uh, we just got done touring with Ministry. I like a lot of that stuff. The Who is probably my favorite band ever. Yep, Stones. Are, Stones are a huge influence. I always have been massive. We do a cover of uh, "Sway" on this record.
0: Yeah, it's very cool. It came out really good. Yeah,
1: John Spencer Blues Explosion, mm-hmm. plenty galore. Um, lots of bands like that, you know. Miles Davis, Electric Miles Davis.
0: My very first um, concert ever was 1978. My parents took me to see Kiss, and it was the uh, the Love Gun tour, and it was. Oh, great. And my parents liked it more than I did, which I always thought was hysterical. But I remember my yeah. dad complaining at the time that he couldn't believe they were charging $15 for a concert ticket. He just thought that was the biggest outrage in 1978. Yeah. But, you know, that's like... It was well, a, times change. Yeah. Well, they, they tried to uh, get back at me. And the next concert, they took me to see Neil Diamond. And I liked it more than they did. Oh, yeah, yeah. So what are you going to do? Yeah. But I hear, like, the the birthday party a lot. I mean, I hear... You know, that, that real heavy, you know, riff. I don't want to say it's, a, like, dirgy, but, you know, the the way, you know, some of the uh, that birthday party stuff, I assumed that that was a big record for you guys.
1: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Huge, huge fans.
0: Yeah, I totally see not that. Massive
1: fans of that stuff. You know, I mean, couldn't be bigger.
0: I know um, you guys get constantly asked about the whole um, grunge thing, and I know that you've, that you personally have tried to kind of distance yourself away from... Well, not really. Well, but you've kind of, you've kind of been critical of what grunge became. And I remember working at a radio station at the time when uh, smells like Teen spirit came out and I was working at a radio station that was playing predominantly, you know, the Bon Jovi's and wingers and all that other shit. And then we start playing Nirvana and it was like, holy smokes, what the hell is this? And it was like, it was like, it was a big moment for us in radio cuz we it made everything seem kind of stupid and it and, and, and trite in in a way. I mean that was a big moment. Yeah. And they all, and and those guys and, and Soundgarden they all kind of pointed to you as yes. being a major influence on on what they did. How yes. do you looking true. looking back on it after all these years, I mean, how do you feel about about the role that you guys may or may not have played in all of that?
1: Well, without us none of that happens, you know. Well, yeah. That's for sure no question those bands might have happened but they're not gonna sound like the way they do no way but you gotta remember those those Soundgarden is probably the weirdest one out of all of those bands mm-hmm. you know and to me uh, whatever is whatever is lumped into the grunge category i'm not even sure what bands those would be allison chains i don't know anything about allison chains i never knew them back then right. as far as i know they weren't even a band i don't even know who know nothing about them <laughs> you know uh um I think they came out in the early nineties by then all that stuff was well established. I just I don't have really have an opinion on them. I've never listened to it. I don't have any concept of what it is really, you know, I'm Soundgarden. I know that they weren't as weird as that. And that to me, that's the stuff, the, uh, ultra, the, uh, um, records that they did were, I think were the strangest out of all that lot. So certainly Nirvana's music's not that weird not weird really at all. I mean, if you look at "Smells Like Teen spirit song structurally, it's identical to, um, the song structure of like, uh, uh any winger song or any Bon Jovi song, no different <laughs> right. verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, verse, chorus, chorus. And that's how it goes. It wasn't really a revolution along those lines. It was more of a revolution in the idea that there's a lot of other stuff out there that can work, you know, more so. So, um, I was never critical of any of those people's success. I was more critical of like the people that came along later who I couldn't stand, who weren't involved, like the people that worked with them, management, people like that, who uh, had certainly had no love of us. And a lot of ways viewed us as just a big pain in their ass. Couldn't understand why anybody would care about us because we're way weirder than any of those other bands. So, they don't understand it. They don't get it. They look at Nirvana as a cash cow, which is true. And I think Nirvana looked at themselves as a cash cow when it came down to it. Um, I wouldn't have operated the way they did. And, but all of it was done, especially from Kurt, under the umbrella of massive drug addiction. And the kind of decisions he made were influenced by the, that. So I think if he would have been on the straight and narrow then he never would have done the things that he did. You know, whether it was what he did in his personal life or what he did musically, uh, as far as like commercially, as far uh, like what he did, you know, to further his career was much different. I know in my conversations with him towards the end, he wasn't happy about any of it. Not with who he was playing with, not who he was married to, none of it. So I know that was true. So the whole story ends, it ends really badly. It ends very badly. And I don't have happy memories about any of it. And then the Soundgarden things ends badly too. So it's just, you know, for me to look at it in any other way other than that would just be a fantasy. I don't, I don't have that uh, ability to just distance myself from it and go, look at the good times. Well, the good times weren't, weren't really there. It's a sad story. It ends badly. And um, that's how it goes. I move on. I do what I'm doing. And if people don't appreciate it, there's nothing I can do about it. I think that they're wrong. I just think that they're wrong. I, I view what I do very and guard it very jealously, you know, mm-hmm. very jealously. And I think if people, people, people that don't like what I'm doing, I won't, won't say anything, but privately I view them as the fucking enemy. <laughs> Fuck you. You know, go out back to your stupid life and like whatever stupid band you like, but expect me to think it's okay. You to hate what I do, right? Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not going to afford you that luxury.
0: I mean, I see how you know Chris Cornell, Kurt Cobain are mythologized, and I and I understand how you, I understand your 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 point of view from it because I mean these are guys you knew, and these are guys who you saw you know go through their problems. I mean that's real personal. For everybody else, we don't have that real personal connection, so it's it's easier for the average average guy in the street to say, "Well, you know, th- those were the good old days." But to me, I, I look at that time period, and I look how selfishly how it affected me. And if there's anything I have ever taken back, or, or out of that time, was you, working in a in, in a radio station. You got to see A and R guys, record reps coming through radio stations all the time, trying to push records. Guys who one month were dressed up in you know their hair all teased up, and Daglo spandex would come in six months later, and they're all wearing, uh, you know, they're all <laughs> they're all wearing knit caps and. And, and flannel t-shirts and smoking clove cigarettes because all of a sudden now those guys have just turned grunge and it was like man you want to talk about a friggin' poser should trying to do their job trying to you know live this this image to me it just kind of shows how you know fans and and people in the industry are willing to you know kind of turn on a dime i always thought that was kind of funny just to to kind of watch this transformation of people you know based on you know a, a Kurt Cobain who as you said to yourself, was that you had, was probably ill-equipped to be placed in the position that he was placed. Yeah, maybe.
1: So was Elvis, Mm. you know, and look what happened to him. Not a whole lot different. So, uh, 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 yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, they plugged Nirvana and those other bands into the same same mechanisms that they sold Winger. It was no different, or Motley Crue. Same station, same management-type people, same record labels, same everything, same tours, no different. Same venues, no different at all. So, I don't view it as different, as far as that's concerned. Right. You know, Soundgarden is the one band who did songs that were odd timings and weird, weirdly done that I appreciated more. You know, than uh, honestly, I listen to that stuff more now than I ever did then.
0: Hmm. You mentioned going on the road with uh, with Ministry, perfectly good example of yeah. of, of a guy who. You know, Al Jorgensen, how, you know, his, the, that first album that they did, Total Manipulation by Record Companies, and, you know, over the years, he's disavowed it, but, you know, because it was just a pop record. I mean, that's basically what it was, and, you know, what he would take ministry to become. But the story of, of the influence of, of record companies, I always thought was a really fascinating story for a guy like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you go to a major label, they're very upfront about it. We're here to sell records. And my experience at a major with three albums was they did very little manipulating of us. They didn't know what was going to sell. They had no idea. If I'd have went to them and said, like every fucking other band does, tell me what to do to make it. They would have done that. You know, right. they would have done what they would, they would have, if I would said, I will do anything you say, whatever you want, put, show me how to do it. That's what all the, I didn't see a lot of manipulation when I was, on Atlantic, I saw bands going to the record label and telling them, we want to do anything you tell us to do. That was every band. Right. You know, it wasn't just, it wasn't just pop bands. It was grunge band. It was every fucking band was willing to do that. With, with the, so I, I never saw that. I didn't have that experience from them. There's a lot of stupid people at the, at, at the majors, but there's a lot of stupid people in indie record labels. Right. The Major labels will do what they tell you they're going to do. They will give you the money they told you they were going to give you. The indie labels will just pay you nothing, ever. So which is the bigger ripoff,
0: you know? Do you think that um, the way Atlantic may have dealt with you was that they just assumed that you were not going to be the kind of guy who would be easily I manipulated?
1: I mean, I, if I went to them and said, look, tell me what to do. I'll do anything you want. Yeah. But I had it written into my contract that... You don't have to put the record out, but you have to give us some money for it. And we deliver these records with covers and mastered intact everything. There you go. You don't even know where we're recording. You have no idea. I mean, every band can do that. Yeah. No problem. But they're not going to do that. They want this machine behind them to turn them into big pop stars. That's what they want. Okay, fine. You know, we viewed the Atlantic, and I think Atlantic kind of viewed us also as a cool thing that other bands that might be more commercial, might think was cool and have us on there. But I thought it would only be one record, not three fucking albums. So we got to make three, three albums that I really like, yep. that, that, that was really fun. And we got to be on the same level as Led Zeppelin and the Stones. So I thought that's where we belonged, always. So it's like, great. The, the iron, ironic nature of all that was not lost on us. And I never thought, with, with most bands, once they get dropped off of an in, a major, that's it. They're done. They can't move forward. They they made they made their big play, and that was it. That was to me. That was just barely even the middle of our career. You know, I've made tons of albums since then. I made a record that came out just a few months after we got dropped, and we toured for the next eighteen months. Nothing's changed as far as that's concerned. Nothing. Yeah. The record labels change as far you know, but uh, but I'm a kind of a creature of habit when it comes to that, and so we've been on Epicast for twenty years. We've had our records on Boner for thirty plus years. I've never touched those records. Those people treat me right. Mm. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go anywhere until they treat me wrong. Yeah. I just think you can do any. You can do any kind of music you want. Anything you want to do. The fact that you don't do it, that's your fault. You know, nobody. I mean, I can't imagine being any of these people and thinking. You know, they they, just want, they want to make it, whatever that means. Okay, great. Good luck. Hopefully, you'll make it you know and when you do hopefully you'll be happy but i'm not one i don't do well with people telling me what to do i just don't do well with it i'm not i'm not good at it yo know, you think that's what i'm going to do really that's interesting we'll see i'll do what i want to do in the time that i want to do it you know the second st- i've heard johnny john Lydon say when he was in public image limited the second you start to dictate is the second we cease to function Everybody can do that. You know, if you don't do that, that's your own fault. You have no one to blame but yourself. So if that's what you want, great. Good on you. Go for it. You know, but I have no interest in any of that sort of thing. You
0: yeah. mentioned a, a long relationship with Ipecac Records. And, I, and, and, yep. and and for people who don't know, that is the, the record company that's uh, co-owned by Mike Patton from Faith No More and Mr. Bungle yeah. and all the other millions of other things that he does. I mean, that's a perfectly good example of a guy who, very much like the Melvins is not afraid to experiment, not ex- afraid to do something totally different. I mean, he had a, a couple albums in, in, in Italian, which, you know, who's got the balls to do that, but he did it. I mean, do you think that having a guy like that, co own the record company that, uh, that is distributing your records? I mean, that has to open a lot of doors for a band like yours that, you know, also doesn't want to rest in their laurels. And in, in, in a way you're every bit as experimental, as, as he is, and they allow you to do that. That's a, pretty, that's a pretty cool relationship. Well,
1: they don't allow me to do it. I just do it. Right. You but, know? I'm not asking permission. Yeah, I don't ask permission from them. Right, but there's, no, you know, inter- there's what, no interference. What do you think of this? Yeah. Should we do this? It's like, no. no. I mean, I, 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 indie label, indie label, if I was on an indie label, it's like, you guys just shut up, and I'd make the records, and you see if you can sell them. But, you know, if you, maybe you, have, you, can, you can suggest something to me, but don't expect me to do it. I don't want to do it. I'm not going to do it. I know what I'm doing. I know how to drive this car. I've been doing it for a long time, and it's a war of attrition. We never stopped. Never stopped. You know, we didn't break up and get back together. It was, it was all out from us for, for, for us for the last 40 years, you know. Even before we could make a living playing music, We it was all out. That's all I thought about and all I did. Seventy percent of my waking hours are stuff like this, where I'm doing stuff that are band band oriented. That's it. Trying to figure out how I'm going to do it. That's why it's always absurd to me when I find people talk about you know forty hour work weeks and weekends (laughs) off and you know you mentioned retiring. It's just like well I don't understand any of that. Yeah, I just don't get it. No, there's no there's no pension fund waiting for me. You know. (laughs) It's like I, I have all kinds of other plans along those lines, and I have all kinds of odd ideas about how things work, and so far, it's been fine. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't been disappointed, and I've ran my vehicle in the, on the, out in the tall weeds for decades, and it, so far, so good.
0: Fair enough. Hey, Buzz, I... Yeah. I, uh, I really appreciate the time today. And I'm, yeah, I'm, thank you. And uh, it's great to talk to you. Best of luck with everything you've done. I've really enjoyed the two records that came out. I, I think they're really, really Glad cool. Glad you like it. Thank I, you so much. I really did. I really did. So thank all you. All right, great. That's thank awesome. you, Buzz. Thank you. The name of the two new albums by the Melvins include Working With God and the four-album set Five-Legged Dog. Hey, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, feel free to like it, share it, subscribe it, tell all your friends about it. Thanks to Canna Provisions for their support. You can support them by going to canaprovisions.com. You can also email me at bax at rock102.com. I'd love to know what you think. Thanks again for listening to Baxi's Musical Podcast.